Hello and welcome to episode three of the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. My name is Connor. And I'm Jason. Every few episodes, uh, we want to take the time to respond to questions or comments that you have. And so you can reach us at amazedandperplexed at gmail.com. Or if you know us personally or don't know us personally, find us on Facebook or send us a text. Just any of your uh, questions or your maybe sense of, hey, let's dive deeper into this. We'd really appreciate knowing uh, what God is doing in you as a result of our work together. The passage for this week is found in John chapter two. It says this, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so whatever he tells them is he has them take these six stone water jars and fill them with water and carry them to this man who's running the master of the banquet. Uh, and the water changes to wine. And the quality of the wine is so noticeably superior uh, that he, the the guy that's running the wedding is asked about, why would you bring out the better wine later? And this was Jesus's first miracle there in Cana. So I, Connor, my, my wife, she is a wedding photographer and my mother-in-law is a, um, is a baker who does a lot of wedding cakes. And I, at one point had a wedding myself. And so I like to think of myself as pretty, pretty knowledgeable in the whole wedding industry, especially as it pertains to the 21st century American wedding industry. And as a out of touch man, I am repulsed by so much of what I see. Uh, people make weddings out to be this huge, massive deal. They will spend all sorts of money, obsess over every detail uh, to make sure that their party, their day is right. Uh, and the funny thing about it, when I think about this passage in John chapter two, I have to kind of call upon those memories and realize and recognize for a second that as big as we take weddings nowadays, as much as money as we spend, as much preparation as we do for weddings in our day and age, it was that and so much more in the day of Jesus for a first century Jew in Palestine. Most people in this day and age were laborers. They lived really hard lives. They struggled. They toiled in the dirt and there wasn't a lot of luxury, right? We are incredibly blessed. We live in the time we do. We get tons of free time. We can do all sorts of stuff, go on vacations. So when they would have parties, when they would have festivities, it was something that everybody everywhere would look forward to. And weddings were the like biggest party of them all. So much so, in fact, that weddings would sometimes go as long as seven days. And what would happen, which is really interesting, when a man became engaged, became betrothed to a woman, he would begin to prepare the household for his future bride to live with him. And he would begin to prepare himself and prepare his household for the wedding party. And when that happened, and it could take up to a year to prepare for this, to make sure they had all the necessary ingredients, all the necessary supplies to make it be just an awesome, crazy, good party festival, he would then send out a second invitation and say, the party is ready. The supplies are here. Everybody come enjoy and celebrate with us. And so in a honor and shame culture, 
for somebody to throw a bad wedding party to somebody to have a wedding party where the wine runs out or there's not enough food or there's not enough drink it would be the height of shame for the bride and the groom and their families and so that's the situation that we find Jesus in what amazes me about this story and it just it continues to i don't know i gain deeper appreciation for it is that Jesus it's it's a i don't know it's a one two punch here Number one, Jesus changes this substance down to its molecular level. It's like, it's not like he added some powder to it. And I mean, it's like he made that as if it had fermented and the whole processing of, of the grapes growing and all that. He, he changed it in an instant. Uh, that is, I mean, I know I've grown up thinking water to wine, but I mean, that is so knocked me off my feet. And then it's like, what can he not do if he can change something down to the molecular level, something that never was as if it always had been that that is just that's mind blowing to me. And that in itself, we'll talk about it here in a little bit. But just what you said that I just want to hold on to it for a second, uh, making something. How exactly did you phrase it, Jason? He made I can never do this. <laughs> he, he made something that was not as if it has always been. OK, so that that's that's absolutely beautiful. I think that's the picture of what Jesus does for us on the cross. Right. And oh, man, I love that phrase. I'm going to steal it. So what, what amazes me about this passage, as you think about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do, the first miracle that he decides to enact is basically I mean, it does a lot of things. It, it, it's You have to pull back the layers. There's a lot of different parts of it. But ultimately, he is declaring himself Lord over the party. He's declaring himself Lord over the jo- over joy, basically, over ultimate joy. And this says so much about the character of who Jesus is and what God is doing when he sends his son Jesus here to earth. Jesus is declaring himself Lord of joy and that ultimately he is being He has come to give that joy. He has come to be the source of that joy. And that's the first thing that he does. Man, that speaks so much to who he is. It does. And I think there is intentionality to what we have in the word of God. And man, that's a very big subject to talk about. But I think I was raised to think of this passage as like Jesus found himself. He got himself in a bind. Like this wasn't intentionally the first miracle. And I think it was intentionally the first miracle. And it talks about exactly what you said, that, yes, we constantly are evaluating what do we think God thinks is important, you know? And and we will even say, well, I'm not going to pray about that because that wouldn't be important to God. Or it's the flip side that we think every single thought we have is important to God. I But what this shows is that that it is right to think that God pays attention to the fullness of who you are not just your physical needs, not just your spiritual needs, also your emotional and your social needs. And I think that is just a beautiful, that, that's kind of that that second layer of of the idea. He, he changes this to the molecular level, and in doing that shows that God values the fullness of who you are, not just when you're doing good or not just certain aspects. That's really good. He takes this moment for this would have been a most likely a teenage couple, which was supposed to be the best day of their lives or the best time of their lives. And because of the shame that was going to be brought down upon them for not being prepared, not having the correct wine, Jesus takes that shame and he turns it into adoration for them. Right. Uh, Oh my gosh, you guys, you're high class. You're doing it right. You know, you know, you're bringing out the, you're bringing out the good stuff after everybody has already had some. 
this is this is another picture of what Jesus does on the cross and what Jesus does for us. Jesus takes what is ultimately our shame and he makes it our victory. Yeah. So when you when you take into that, what what did we not hit? What amazes you about this? So, you know, a lot of times we, we think about this in terms of Jesus turning water into wine. I think I even saw videos of it or like maybe there was a veggie tales of it. Maybe I'm just making that up in my mind where it's like there's this there's this bottle or there's a single cup and and he turns this cup this that has clear liquid in it into wine. Um, that's actually not what happened. That's not what happens. So the Jews had um, very strong beliefs and, and very strong convictions about how they were about how they were supposed to go about their day-to-day lives, even with individual tasks. And one of the big things that was really important to them is that they remain ritually, spiritually pure and clean. And so these jars are meant for ceremony or washing. So as the party progresses, as the feast continues, they are to be washing and purifying themselves over and over and over again. And that's what this water is for. It's a religious symbol. It's a religious tool that everybody there would have been familiar with, that Jesus would have been familiar with. The thing that amazes me about this passage is Jesus takes this this religious tool that was used in a particular way in the past, and he reorients it in a new and miraculous way. And I think about that so much as, you know, as I move forward in my faith and as I look forward to how I minister to people and how I share the gospel with them, the way that Jesus chooses to enact his will here on earth is not static. Just because a particular tool or a particular way of doing things was really successful in the past doesn't mean that Jesus can't shape and transform it into a new and incredible way. That dynamic of creativity is something that that I would want us, or that I always get excited when people really claim that, that they walk with a creative God. And I think you're exactly right. We tend to go to precedent. I think we talked about this last time, I, where we talk about, I, I can trust things that I have precedent in. And see, God takes great delight to keep presenting new solutions to even the same problems or solving problems that had never been thought about before. And I think that applies so much to the way we live today is I know God can can provide a cure for polio. Why? Well, because we have precedent. And I think this idea of, of understanding there's nothing outside the scope. This is a Bobby Smith quote. There's nothing outside the scope of God's very, power. That was a very niche reference. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's but it's it's so true is that idea of we tend to think, well, God belongs in this space, maybe just even a church building. And God is the one that created all of this. Mm-hmm. And so he's got a creative solution to everything. And it delights him to shock. I love what you said about they went from being potentially humiliated, and that would stick with them maybe for their whole life, the small town, right? To being adored, to being honored. And and I just think that bridegroom, you imagine him standing there and the master comes up and like, everybody usually saves the best for, or best, it goes best first. And he's like, uh-huh. Yeah. Like he didn't know. He didn't know. It's well, that experience, like, I, I don't know if you had that experience, but when people at my wedding were coming up and talking to me about, oh, that was so beautiful or this was so done. And you just, yeah, it's really great. And I had no part in planning that. I had no part in doing anything about that. And you just kind of go, yeah, it's it's pretty great. And the fact, and man, this is this is so great. The fact that Jesus does not feel the need to go, oh, that was me, man. Just so you know, I'm your Lord and Savior. I'm saving you from this. And that's why you have this blessed situation. Jesus blesses this man and reveals his power to his disciples, for his disciples, but he doesn't feel the need 
to then go and claim credit to the bride and groom. He blesses them. He changes their lives for the better. And he doesn't feel the need to to then go give them the quiz after that. That right there actually ties into what perplexes me about this passage. And it's this identity piece of Jesus, his his interaction with his mom. And, and I don't think we we've said this, but but the idea of him saying woman, that's like in in. I don't know. I lived in Ecuador for a while and we'd say senora. It wasn't a condescending thing. In our culture, you say woman, you know, it carries this feeling like you're about to do something really bad. You know, that no one will approve of. <laughs> I was interested to see what you're going to say. With yeah, that. exactly. I, I backed up anyway. But but this is him just acknowledging that the key here is it's not my time. Like, what does that mean? And why does he submit to it? And I don't I don't have answers to that, but it's this perplexing dynamic of how he interacts with his family because later his family thinking he's out of his mind will come and try to, they, they come to a place where it's packed up, you know, a bunch of people in there and they're like, you need to come out. And he doesn't, mm. but here he, he submits and how he is not, I, I guess the answer to me at, at the very least is what you acknowledged is he, he goes with what's happening in the, in the world, even when what's happening isn't his plan. Now, now he's in charge and he, his will is going to be accomplished, but he's so creative. He adjusts to, to this and makes the most of it. Now, I just said, I think it was intentional. This is his first miracle. But now we have to bring in the subject of, okay, God is timeless and he knows how all this is going to yeah. go. But Jesus at this moment is in time. Mm-hmm. And so he's experiencing it. So that's a fascinating thought that Jesus himself, like God planned this, the spirit planned this, but Jesus himself may not be aware what's what's taking place right now. And yet, because he's in line with the Holy Spirit, he's responding to the opportunity the Holy Spirit gives him. Yeah, and how does that? I, I keep saying it, but man, that's just so that's so good, and it's such a good picture of of when we're in line with the Holy Spirit, when we are fully uh, fully submitted and fully given to the will of God. It can seem like we can look back, even if we didn't feel it in the moment, and it can seem like we like had a conference call with God beforehand to plan out every single little detail. Um, yeah, that's, that's really good. I, I think one of the things that I would, I would like to, I would just kind of like to point out if you're, if you're worried about it all, like, like Jason said, this is not this, the, when he says woman to his mother, the reason he does that is it's conveying a lack, it's conveying a lack of intimacy on the, that particular interaction with his mother. And, and so the, it, this kind of gets into what perplexes me ultimately on kind of the other side of it. Uh, so most scholars believe by this point, Joseph has died. And so Jesus being the firstborn would have been the one that his mother looked to in terms of for direction and for, and for guidance. And so really just kind of trying to figure out why does, why does she come? This is the first time that she had come to Jesus like this. Was she expecting a miracle or was she expecting just a really wise answer from Jesus because he'd been giving wise, thoughtful answers in his entire life? It's just really fascinating. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that she got the picture that Jesus was special when, um, you know, she gave birth as a virgin. That's that's a pretty good sign, you know, along with angels that that something's up with this with this guy. But you do wonder. This is another fascinating thing for me. Jesus spends 30 years in obscurity and that this is his coming out party is really baffling. Like if you decide to run for Congress next week, Jason, one, I'm going to get you tested for you know, something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> if you decide to run for Congress next week and you were going to launch your campaign and you're going to be like, you know what? 
I think it's time. I think it's fair. Every single American deserves one whole pizza a week from the government. And I am running on this mantra that everybody deserves their pizza, their government cheese, pizza money. That, I just want to pause to say that is the most appealing platform I've ever heard. <laughs> so just for the record. Well, you, you're in luck because I'm announcing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if that was if that was your prime candidacy, right? If, if that was the the goal for you in terms of running for office of why are you going to go to the effort to put yourself out there to receive the criticism to to take the scrutiny that you're going to take you would be really intentional about what your first message to the public was how you announced it where you announced it the tone the the exact wording and anytime a politician does announces a campaign or something like that they are very intentional with their opening speech of announcing their campaign. And this is kind of one of Jesus' opening speeches. And so when we talk about that he this is an opening speech, maybe not just even to us, but possibly to his family, um, I just think it, it's so, I just want to come circle back around to it to just talk about how much it amazes me, how intentional Jesus is about joy. I, I have no other point to make than that, but I just, I, you know, I just want to enjoy that for a second. I don't know if that has ever crossed my mind before that dynamic. I, I know I've I've asked myself, how did she know? But I don't know if I've ever thought, I don't know. It's almost like I assumed Mary had read this chapter before, which mm -hmm. I think we do a lot in the Bible. Oh, of course yeah. they knew. They had read this chapter before. Um they had seen the veggie tales. Yeah, exactly. They knew they knew how this went. Yeah, that that is interesting. Like, what was she looking for? And wisdom would have been applicable here. Like, in other words, there's another way to solve this. Yeah. Like, like if Jesus had come in and said, like, you know, this village probably had about 60 people in it. Maybe you had more from surrounding villages coming in. If Jesus as a well-respected uh, knower of the scriptures got up and, and, and use his charismatic abilities to say, Hey, listen, like it, this is, this is okay. Like they're, they're young and this happens I, like I don't know what maybe that doesn't fly in that culture, but you're you're totally right. I didn't mean to cut you off. You're totally right that turning changing the molecular substance of water is not the only way to remedy the situation. Yeah, I, I I'll tell you that's a whole new line of thinking for me. Is the idea that that he was so skilled at speaking? Um, I mean, when he first speaks to crowds, they're just amazed at the authority with he, which he spoke with. And these were all Jewish people here. So with my limited imagination, I can imagine Jesus with, with the way that he would teach with authority, that he could just, uh, he could find a lot of ways to solve this, you know? And it, I, I tell you, it's just an amazing thing because I think we do this with a lot of miracles in the Bible. Well, of course he walked on the water. That was the time to walk in the water. Well, of course he did this. But the moment before it happened, those things did not exist. Water to wine did not exist until that moment. And so then when I start to extrapolate that out to my life, I think in such limited ways about how things should go. Mm. You know, I imagine this and, and furthermore, I will hold God to that. I'll say, God, this is the only way this will work. Yeah. <laughs> and then when it doesn't go that way, especially before I see where this is going, a lot of times I'll shut down to God. I'll say, well, if you're not going to meet the imagine the one way or two ways I can imagine that there are no other ways.
I wonder, I wonder if this thought crosses the disciples' minds after, or maybe even crosses the mind of Jesus. Thank, thank God, there were no, there were no religious people at this service, <laughs> at, at this wedding banquet. Because yes. can you imagine? Okay, so later on, and the Pharisees are around observing everything Jesus does. If they take the ceremonial jars that are have this express purpose in their religion, can you imagine what a Pharisee would say to that sort of thing? Changing that tool, using that tool for something else. So true. Would I, would I wonder sometimes as speaking as religious people, Jason and I speaking as professional Pharisees, um, both in the emotional sense and as paid, you know, paid ministers sense. Are there certain areas that I've I've experienced or certain life experiences that I've lived? Have there been areas where if I wasn't there to structure the event, to structure the ongoing proceedings where God was going to change a previous way of doing things and make it a new miraculous way of doing things. Now you've tapped into a fear I have. I I fear a lot that, you know, I've been given a job to, to lead people, to help people to see Jesus, to help them work through their problems, to help them make application. And I wonder all the time, and I'm not a planner, by mm-hmm. nature or by personality. Um, but but I do wonder if I had just let that run, would God have, we, we'd use the term shown up, and we don't mean he wasn't there before, but expressed his creativity in a totally different way that had never been seen before. But, oh, I and this, oh, it, it's so, I, I'm feeling it so visually right now where I think of all the opportunities that I've had to, to take this risk on a person or this kind of thing. But I think, oh, they'll get up there, they'll make a fool of themselves, they'll embarrass themselves. And, mm-hmm. and that may be wisdom. This is the rub. Is yes. It may be wisdom to protect that person from themselves. And it may be my fear and, and discerning that in the moment and being open to God's creativity, man, that is a battle. So, I'm sure I'll face it the rest of my life. But. So I, I think I actually have a pretty personal story about this. So my kind of coming back to Jesus moment, it was an incredibly embarrassing moment that it happened at church camp. Jason, you were probably there. Basically what happened, I thought it was a lot funnier than I actually was. I had begun to write stand up in my, in my life. And I had some people tell me some very personal things that should not have been shared to a whole group of church camp people. And so I got up and told jokes and they fell absolutely flat. I was not a Jesus person at this point. I'm about 17 years old. I get up, I share these things. People are not laughing. I go sit back down as like, I'm like the co-MC. So then I go back up and I do more embarrassing things and nobody is still laughing. I, it, it happens three to four times and I don't know why I kept getting back up. And I mean, it was the youth ministers at this camp were furious. They were upset. You could, everybody had these ugly looks on their face. There's a, there's a man that we know, Sean Kindle, one of the nicest, godliest person, people that I've ever met in my entire life. I even respected him back then. And he took me by the shoulders at the very end of it. And he goes, Connor, it wasn't that bad. And it, you know, it's really bad if like if they're willing to say it immediately after the fact. And, and as somebody who just experiences embarrassment and experiences humiliation and remembers the embarrassing things I did in third grade. And when my teacher cleaned out my backpack and I cried in front of everybody because I had some sort of like moldy cupcake in there. I was expecting this to be the moment that like I sat up every single night and go, oh, my gosh, you remember at church camp when you were 17 years old and you did that. And my coming back to Jesus story is I felt God protecting me in this moment from this embarrassing feeling. I felt this this holy other presence in my mind that was I, I could feel I could see the embarrassment in my mind, but I, I couldn't feel it. There was something protecting me in that moment and through a whole series of events that night. I just began to realize that that was that was 
God in the person of Jesus revealed to me. And I think about it before that happened. And I mean, I funny, funnily enough, I, I confess that night, Hey, I'm so sorry to the people who did it. And they were very gracious. The youth ministers at the time before I had confessed and I had said, what's going on in my heart at this moment up until that point, if you had said, can you take back what happened two to three hours ago at the talent show? They would have said, yes, I will give whatever it takes. I will give a lot to take back what he did and the embarrassment he brought upon all of us. I'll tell you, I was laughing uh, because I was there <laughs> and I didn't know you well. And I I didn't know that story. And not, I never told you that story. Not the backstory. I, I don't know, think I've ever heard that. Do you want to hear the full story? But I'm old and so I forget everything. So next year I'll say the same thing. So so the full the full story, and this can go in the podcast and it cannot go in the podcast. So I I I I felt it very deep. And I've always hated the cliche go to the field moments. And so at the end, we, you know, I'm I'm feeling this feeling. I'm waiting for the we had our worship or whatever. I didn't feel anything there. I just was waiting for this embarrassment and I could see all the looks I was getting from people. And we went down to the field and you know, everyone's looking at the sky and I just, I felt this like pressure in my head and I just, I kind of like on my knees kind of went to the ground and I was just like, I was like staring at the dirt and the moon was out that night and I could see the, like the moon was illuminating the ground and I could just see these like little tiny ants going back and forth and I could see these blades of grass and I, I, I was weeping. I was weeping on the ground, just like seeing the connection. Cause you know, you always look at the stars and how magnificent they are, but I was looking down and I was seeing how intricate all these details were. And I mean, I, I was, I was bawling on the ground, um, well past everybody had started singing and gathering together and leaving the field. And I was just, I was there. And then of course, some volunteer mom was like, you need to be up, you know, whatever. And here I am. The whole purpose of church camp is that kids would have these moments and encounters with God. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, I remember just feeling this pressure in my head of, of God taking me to the ground and just staring at the dirt and at the grass and just kind of seeing the intricacies and, and, and making this connection. Oh, this, this feeling in my head is think this this force that's keeping this embarrassment this humiliation at bay that that's that's the god of the universe that's the thing that holds the stars together and that's the thing that holds the dirt underneath me together so that that is amazing i i love that and i love just being able to reframe my experience on that night mm -hmm. and i don't have super strong memories but i do remember you getting up there <laughs> And you were so confident. Like, I didn't know you were humiliated because you kept presenting as so confident. And I was thinking, how is he keeping he presenting no shame? confident? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think you were shameless. I, I was impressed with your confidence in the spite of it not resonating. I kept thinking I could turn it back around. I yeah. was like, this next one is going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember what was so offensive too, uh, that had been a big discussion among staff all week. And then here we are at the, I guess, last night and you were just blowing it up, which was, yeah, it was, it's funny, but this is kind of the point, which then mm -hmm. makes me go back to the, to the, um, to the wedding feast. Yeah. We see what we see. What else was God doing there? We, we've already identified that he was completely changing the pathway of this couple and mm -hmm. specifically the bridegroom, the shame that he would carry. Uh, it might fall on the rest of his life. Was he going to overcompensate the rest of his life trying to make up for this failure of his? Was that going to define every aspect of his relationship with his wife going forward? Oh yeah. I mean, and that is so, that is not like us leaping to the wildest things. Yeah, you can expect that dynamic. And then I wonder who else. You know, we know the disciples are along for the ride. 
are they observing it? You know, I, I wonder even what happens because when they first present this to the master of the, the of the banquet, they don't take him the pot. They just scoop some out. You know, they take in that and present it. At what point did they realize they were drawing this wine out of these jars? Because, yes, the Pharisees would have put a stop to it immediately, but everyone would have been like, now what? Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, it's just it, it just raises all these interesting questions. And and just taking your situation with you're up there and it was so, so what's our evangelistic method to Connor when he's 17? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a talent show. We're going to let him get up, offend us, really make us as leaders look like we're idiots. Everyone glower at him. And then we'll we'll get really angry at him and he will connect with Jesus by watching ants in a field. <laughs> That's our evangelistic plan. And see, this is the foolhardiness of saying, I'm going to develop an evangelistic plan. And I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes, evangelistic planners, but that's, that's the silliness of saying, I'm going to figure out how to reach everybody in this generation. And I'm like, man, and if you've got something working, run with it. But that's because God's creativity brought it to you. It's not because you're genius in watching human patterns mm-hmm. because Jesus does not, he understands human patterns. I think he works with human patterns, but he is not controlled in the least bit. Uh, and this is a shocker. It's just like you're saying, this is a shocker of his campaign, you know, mm-hmm. to get to the cross and and in, in terms of human appeal to say, look, here's the power I have. I mean, this is the least of the things I would reference when I'm saying, hey, believe in Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and yet this is the nature of walking with an almighty God is he's not just one step ahead. He's a bazillion steps ahead mm-hmm. and he he does everything with purpose. So I would be interested, like I would pay money to get the interviews of the people a year after that wedding to see what else God did through this one act that that is not linear, but it mm-hmm. is certainly the way God works. It really says a lot. Like I imagine when Jesus heals people, I mean, obviously it changes their lives. And if they, if he resurrects people, <laughs> that for sure changes their life. And so I'm not making any value judgment on what's better or what's worse or if it's the exact same, but it really does say a lot that God can do just as much in this sort of miracle as he can in a healing miracle. He can do just as much in this moment as he can in any other moment. And so I, I mean, I just think, you know, for me in this next week, I'm just, I'm just really going to be trying to be prayerful of, am I setting the table? Right. When I think about my experience at church camp, you know, you guys couldn't organize my experience, right? You couldn't organize how God was going to, how God was going to get me in the end. You couldn't organize the ants in the field and you couldn't organize. Um, my actually not at all interested future wife telling me these embarrassing stories and feeding them to me and then me going out and embarrassing myself. You couldn't set that up, but you could set the table, right? You could set the, you could set the safe space where, you know, what would have happened when I went and confessed my, my sins and repented to the youth minister at the time? Um, if he had been hateful, if he had been, well, yeah, you did mess up or yeah, you, you are a failure. Yeah, you do whatever, whatever the response would be. If he hadn't been gracious, if he hadn't been forgiving, what would have happened? Like, what would have happened to me? I mean, genuinely speaking, what, what would have happened to me? I, I don't know. And I think about that in, in my ministry, not just my ministry, you know, in church life, but in, in all of life is when I set the table, am I willing to react to however God However, God uses my faithfulness in the odd ways that he chooses to. Am I, am I willing to go to the weird and odd places? Am I looking out for him to do so? I think for me, the, the thing that I'm walking away with from this conversation is 
committing myself over and over again, but certainly right now, to believing that he has not just a solution, but something that is so amazing, to committing to wonder um, and freeing myself up to, yes, what the thoughts that come to my mind may be his thoughts, but I put them out as one option of a billion that he has and just really be anticipating the good in that. And in particular, when somebody comes to with an idea that makes no sense to me, um, to really take that much more seriously and commit that to God before I make any decisions. I will do much better on saying that gives me something really important to pray about than mean it, not blow them off, but I mean, <laughs> really say, okay, God, this idea doesn't make a bit of sense to me. Mm-hmm. What is it you're trying to tell me? And, and not that every idea will be something, but to be open to hearing from, mm-hmm. from God in that way. And the challenge, the challenge for me specifically is I can look at my own life, right? And I can see the examples where, where God did that, where I was open and God led me down a particular path. The really hard part is when we're interacting with other people, other saved people, other non-saved people, being open to them being vehicles of transformation, of gospel work. It's really hard because I I don't know your mind, Jason. I, I know you, Jason, but I don't know every inner thought that you have and I don't know specific, you know, detailed motivations for why you do everything you do. And so for me, man, the challenge is really going to be this week, not just am I creating space and setting the table for people, but am I allowing other people to set the table for me? This is this is the direct nature of being amazed and perplexed of the tension of being a follower of Jesus. Uh, we are just grateful to share this journey with you. If you know anyone uh, that this might help, it would really bless us if you shared this with them. If you would subscribe uh, to Amazed and Perplexed, that would really bless us as well. Uh, we are just so grateful to God for the opportunity and we want this to go as far as he would want. And so understand that you'd be an important part of that for us. 